Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of the Global Kidney Academy and is brought to you by Medtelligence. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. We know anchor-associated vasculitis can lead to long-term organ damage and carries significant mortality risk. While treatment with glucocorticoids is effective, there are disadvantages in terms of adverse events and impaired quality of life for patients. Given these unmet needs and with respect to the guidelines and current treatments, is there a role for complement receptor inhibition in anchor-associated vasculitis treatment and management? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. David Jane. And I'm Dr. Annette Brookfeld. So, Annette, let's answer that important question by starting with a patient case. The case presentation is a 61-year-old woman diagnosed with microscopic polyangitis with biopsy-confirmed renal involvement five years ago, and she was treated then with cyclophosphamide and corticosteroids. This resulted in a stable chronic kidney disease with a glomerular filtration rate of 60 mls a minute, and she became anchor-negative. Currently, the patient is experiencing her first relapse and is now anchor-positive. In the initial presentation, she had lethargy, fever, and joint pain. She's got an elevated BMI at 28.9. And the laboratory tests have demonstrated proteinuria with hematuria, a fall in her glomerular filtration rate down to 44.1 mls a minute. And the quantification of a proteinuria is with a urinary albumin creatinine ratio of 127. I mentioned that she had had prednisone and cyclophosphamide in the past, and currently, the patient's quite anxious that she's getting worse and it's getting more difficult to exercise or walk up and down the stairs. Do you have any comments about, in particular, about the laboratory findings and this type of common clinical presentation? Yes, uh, I think this uh, patient, uh, it's important to uh, consider that she has already been treated well. She has some damage from uh, her first uh, diagnosis. Uh, she also already has CKD and she is obese. And I also would like to know more about the muscle weakness uh, that she seems to have. Is that something that she had before or is something that can get worse if we give her even more uh, glucocorticoids at this uh, time? Yes, I think given that she's been treated before, she is at higher risk of treatment-associated toxicity, particularly with steroids, and also with her elevated body mass index and anxiety. These can correlate with further problems such as weight gain and mood disorder with the steroids. And we do now know that complement pathways are important in anchovasculitis, which gives us is now giving us new opportunities for treatment. But I also think it's important to clarify her diagnosis, microscopic polyangitis. There really was little here to suggest she's got granulomatous disease, which would move her into a diagnosis of GPA or granulomatosis with polyangitis. And we're aware that quite recently, the American College of Rheumatology and ULAV have issued classification criteria that can help the physician differentiate between these two syndromes. Now, Annette, what do the standard of care guidelines tell us about managing this patient? So there are new guidelines, at least in the last couple of years, from the American College of Rheumatology, KEDIGO, and also very recently published the EULAR guidelines. And they all have slightly different takes on remission induction, but what is a 
common feature is the low dose glucocorticoids and in some cases also if there's a possibility to use avacopan that should be at least considered or also recommended once it's more available which is not everywhere yet. Uh, so I think that uh, the glucocorticoid sparing feature has already been a big interest in the last couple of years. There are several trials that have uh, used a low uh, steroid regimen or at least tried it and that has been associated with the uh, equal effect, uh, not substandard effect and also with fewer infections, which is the, a major issue with using uh, high doses of glucocorticoids. So when choosing cyclophosphamide or rituximab, there are several advantages to rituximab, especially in patients where you repeat treatment that you avoid some of the toxicity, for instance, malignancy, but also, and also fertility is an important topic in younger patients, whereas the risk of infection is not that different between the two treatments, but there are specific features of rituximab, which can lead to especially repeated doses of hypogamma globulinemia with an increased risk of infection. And in the last year, we have, uh, last couple of years with the pandemic, we have uh, understood that uh, using rituximab makes it a bit more problematic uh, with the vaccine. Uh, and then the vaccine uh, effect is uh, lower in rituximab treated patients. Uh, but in general, this uh, glucocorticoid tapering or avoidance is becoming a, an important feature vasculitis patients and with uh, emerging therapies with the deep knowledge of the complement system and the use of complement uh, C5A inhibitors in trials that's uh, a, an important uh, step forward for treating our patients and reducing toxicity. Yes and, and I would add just adding what you were saying about steroid regimens. We do now have really for the first time randomized controlled trials showing that you can more rapidly reduce steroids without losing efficacy, particularly in the case of vasculitis affecting the kidney, and that was seen in the Pexavas trial. But nevertheless, even with these regimens, patients still experience quite a bit of glucocorticoid toxicity because the regimens start with quite high dose. And I think particularly in patients with relapsing disease, uh, there's a desire to try and avoid steroids. And of course, the patients will be aware of the steroid-related side effects they've had before. And the patients are often very keen themselves to try to avoid a return to those side effects. And always the worry with steroids is there are the side effects you see in the short term, but we worry about long-term uh, morbidity and infection risk uh, of, of cumulative uh, steroid exposure. And so in terms of emerging therapies, we do have the complement C5A inhibitors, and we have some quite elegant research that has demonstrated that this pathway, complement C5A, appears critical to the development of vasculitis, at least in, in experimental models. And the data from human trials is, is fairly consistent with C5A inhibitors uh, in the clinic. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. David Jane, and here with me today is Dr. Annette Brookfeld. We're discussing how to treat and manage anchor-associated vasculitis, including the potential role of complement receptor inhibitors, using a patient case study. 
So, uh, David, based on what we just heard, uh, what would you do for this patient? Well, I think the most important thing is to start treatment immediately. You don't want to waste time once you've reached a diagnosis. Some might want to consider repeating a kidney biopsy, but I think in this case, with an active urine, the return of anchor, and probably some constitutional symptoms, I would start treatment straight away. Now, this patient would have met the eligibility for the advocate trial, which was a randomized controlled trial, which compared avacapan to a prednisone taper regimen. Both these drugs given against a background of either rituximab or cyclophosphamide followed by azathioprine. And I think the advocate trial demonstrated that those patients given avacapan were more likely to have sustained remission at 12 months. But a particular relevance to this patient had much reduced steroid exposure, reduced steroid toxicity, a better recovery of quality of life, and better recovery of kidney function. And we always worry about relapsing patients affecting the kidney because these patients have a particularly high risk of progressing to end-stage renal disease. So there are several bits of evidence from the advocate trial that suggests that avacapan would be an alternative therapy to consider in this patient. Annette, you mentioned the ULAR guidelines, which I'm, I'm glad to say uh, are now in press, and these do recommend avacapan when it is desirable to, to avoid steroids. I think when you're assessing a patient and trying to decide what treatment to give the patient, then assessing comorbid risks such as diabetes, hypertension, obesity, malignancy risk is a very important part of the physician reaching a decision on the best treatment to, to use. And in terms of this discussion of how you identify whether a patient would benefit from avacapan as opposed to standard therapy uh, with glucocorticoids, there are several conclusions that we can draw from advocate of those that will particularly benefit. And I think those, uh, those patients in whom we think are at particularly high risk of steroid toxicity, those patients in whom their disease is probably not well controlled with whatever therapy they're on, assuming they've had a, an adequate trial, uh, and those patients with a reduced GFR. And I think the patient that we presented earlier in this talk really meets two of these criteria. So I think avacapan should certainly be considered. In terms of safety, there was no major safety risk in advocate between those treated with avacapan and those treated with prednisone taper, although numerically there were a reduced number of serious adverse events uh, in the avacapan group compared to the steroid group. But I think what's important if you're considering using avacapan is to make that decision quickly and to start the drug quickly, because the benefit is going to be upfront, uh, because that is usually when you have to deliver the high doses of steroids. So I think if you delay the initiation of avacapan, then you miss a lot of the advantages of being able to minimize and withdraw steroids rapidly. In terms of what you monitor when you commence a patient on complement inhibition therapy, in fact, it's just the same things as we would monitor with all our patients, the hematology, the kidney function and liver function and so on. And with respect to a patient with nephritis, we'll be regularly mo monitoring the proteinuria, looking for microscopic hematuria and monitoring kidney function. Well, this has certainly been a, a fascinating conversation. But before we wrap up, Annette, can you share your one take-home message with our audience? 
it's important to get an early diagnosis uh, and also to recognize an early relapse and treat quickly uh, because to avoid the damage and also use less toxic treatment, which will translate into a better effect and also a better quality of life for the individual patient. Yes, and I think my take-home message is with complement inhibition therapy, we have an alternative now. And as a physician, you always want alternatives because you're then going to be able to deliver the best combination of drugs for your patient and achieve the, the best outcomes. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening. And thank you, Dr. Annette Brookfelt, for joining me and for sharing all of your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today. Thank you very much, David. And uh, goodbye. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash medtelligence. Thank you for listening.